From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, March 10th. Today, Impact Engine's Priya Parrish joins Impact Alpha's David Bank to discuss the value of purpose-built impact asset management in advisory firms and why purpose-driven is not enough. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. India is poised to lead and to test the just energy transition. The soon-to-be most populous country in the world is at the center of efforts to supercharge climate funding in the global south. Prime Minister Narendra Modi is pushing clean energy as an economic development and diplomatic tool. India heads the G20 Group of Nations this year, which is looking to leverage more private investment with loan guarantees and other incentives. India needs as much as $10 trillion of investment to meet its own development and net zero goals, which are set for the year 2070. Impact Alpha recognized International Women's Day this week with reports on women-led and other funds focused on gender, climate, and ecosystem regeneration. A report from 2X Global identified frontline communities in rich, middle, and low-income countries as the key to many climate solutions. For example, in the U.S., Matriarch Revolutionary Fund will provide grant and debt capital to Native and women-led ventures using character-based lending. This replaces the traditional five C's of lending with the five R's. That's relational, rooted, restorative, regenerative, and revolutionary. More than 300 private market funds are investing with a gender lens across private equity, venture capital, private debt, and permanent capital vehicles. That's according to Catalyst at Large and Project Sage 4.0. 200 of these 300 funds have raised a combined $6 billion. And venture funds are zeroing in on women's health. On Impact Alpha's list of openly raising funds this month is Mexico City-based New Ventures, which launched a $20 million fund to offer revenue-based financing to women's health services startups in Latin America. And Global Bio Fund is rolling out Jaya Ventures, a $100 million fund to back early-stage women-led health tech ventures in the U.S., the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand. Global Bio CEO Ipshita Mandel Johnson was a guest on Impact Alpha's Reconstruction podcast two years ago. And now it's time for David's conversation with Priya Parrish of the Chicago based Impact Engine. Let's jump right in. I've been taken with your ideas for developing a purpose built impact uh, asset management industry, and I hope we can uh, share some of those with the listeners. But first, tell us a little bit about Impact Engine and about your own journey. Sure, absolutely. Um, So Impact Engine, we're an institutional venture capital and private equity investor, driving outcomes in the areas of economic opportunity, environmental sustainability, and health equity. Uh, We see these as three large market opportunities and ones in which the intersectionality between them is actually how you can create really lasting impact. Uh, and we're an asset management platform, really, with capabilities of investing both directly in companies, which we've been doing since our inception 10 years ago. Um, but we also invest in funds. We've been doing that for the last five years. Um, so we do this across stages, 
within these impact areas, all private markets and have a really unique vantage point at seeing the entire private impact investing ecosystem in order to pull out the best themes and trends to invest in, as well as I think have a unique viewpoint on where this is all headed. You mentioned the 10-year anniversary. I've been around now long enough to remember when Impact Engine was quite a small fund. I think uh, kind of university-related and, and sort of accelerator on seats said you've grown up quite a bit. I think by my total raise, something like 66 plus million dollars across the three funds that you mentioned. Um, so so you've, uh, you've, you've, you've grown into a, a, a serious player. Yeah, and, and bigger than that even, David. So yeah, our first fund was a $500,000 accelerator fund in 2012. And today we manage over $200 million um, across our own funds, as well as we do serve as a sub-advisor for Alliance Bernstein. We really, we, that was our first launch of a partnership where we, we customize and manage capital on behalf of a, another investor. Oh, terrific. I didn't know that last part. So thank you for that. Um, and I didn't mean to underestimate the, the assets. That, that is even a, a, a bigger player than I had thought. No. Um, <laughs> But uh, but even so, in the world of asset management, um, you know, that is small. You've talked about sort of how can the impact asset management industry grow up, you know, on its own or, or maintain the impact uh, focus uh, while it as it gets big. Tell us a little bit some of your thoughts of how that might happen. Yeah. And, and so part of this viewpoint is that I've, I've grown up in my career. I started out in the ESG space before ESG was an acronym back in 2004 at KLD. Um, Throughout my career, I've also spent a number of years in the hedge fund industry, in the family office industry. I've invested across asset classes. And I've seen how each of these strategies over time, as they gain acceptance, um, how asset managers try to scoop them in, essentially. So we saw long-only managers try to add hedge funds. We saw private equity funds try to add hedge funds, hedge funds, start VC funds, all these different things. And um, it's because our industry is really predicated on scale, right? You need enough capital in order to really generate strong returns. And you, there's also something as too much capital. Um, and so what I observe throughout all these asset classes, even private credit, private real estate, is that when these asset managers go and tack on different strategies or buy up firms to manage it within their, their umbrella, um, those are usually not the leading products. They're kind of second rate. Um, they're not their core products. They're, there's something missing. And I think the same thing is likely to be true with impact investing. People are now seeing that it's a sizable enough market that all the big players, both public and private asset managers say, we need to have something here. Okay. So let's go buy someone. And we've certainly seen lots of acquisition in this space, um, or, or some other way of doing it, doing JVs and things like that. And I think what they're missing with that is this idea that we were talking about, which is there's a difference between a purpose-built investment firm and a purpose-driven. Purpose-driven is a bit hand-wavy. It speaks certainly to aspiration. It speaks to commitment without having detail. A purpose-built investment organization stands on very clear principles that inform the entire investment process from literally, what do you invest in? What is the pond that you fish in? to how do you source and what are the initial things you're screening for and looking for to how you're conducting diligence, informing what you invest in and how you structure those investments to ensure impact, how you exit, but also who you target as your investors, what your objectives are to them, how you report to them, how you engage and partner with them. It's very different when the entire firm has a real intention and accountability 
around purpose and impact across everything they do versus just saying that's a mandate of this product and this fund. Because inevitably, there are other people in the organization who are involved in it, and there's not that same kind of, of rigor. Um, so that's kind of what I'm what I'm talking about. And I, I have my own ideas of how I think we can achieve this and re- continue that impact, authenticity and rigor while achieving that scale, because we do need to get scale. One of the uh, uh, obstacles to that that you uh, uh, raised is that the gatekeepers that sometimes sit between the asset owners and the and the fund managers that are deploying the capital themselves uh, are not necessarily purpose built for impact and, and can be an impediment with their own sort of received assumptions or misperceptions, as the case may be. That's exactly right. So, you know, um, just it's the way the investment industry works, whether it's pensions or foundations, family offices, there's there's oftentimes an intermediary, a consultant, an OCIO, an advisor. And while we've seen a tremendous amount of growth in impact GPs um, in our CRM, our database, you know, we have over 600 impact funds there from venture through private equity. I'm really excited about that. But these gatekeepers, I would say all the traditional players, which all these institutions rely on, have, um, you know, kicked and screamed, (laughs) but eventually say, oh, we can help you pick impact investments. And it was just a few years ago, they were kind of against it. But anyways, now they've come along and they're saying we can help you do this. But fundamentally, they're not purpose built and they don't have the expertise. They don't have the intention. They don't have the network. They don't know how to structure things to mitigate the risk that does come from investing in a nascent industry. Um, And so there's a lot of no, no, we can't do this. And they're not actually backing the managers that are purpose built. Um, And so we need to address that as that as well and make sure that those gatekeepers are also purpose built. Now. One way, obviously, as you mentioned, that uh, firms get bigger is by buying other firms or being bought by other firms. Um, and there have been, as you say, a bunch of M&A in the impact space, generally mainstream or what we like to call legacy firms buying up more boutique I- impact firms. In some cases, the jury's still out. In some cases, the jury's quite in that that the impact uh, gets lost along the way or diluted at, at, at the very least. Um, you had a provocative idea that the impact firms could themselves uh, uh, kind of roll themselves up into something much bigger. Might, how might that work? That's right. I mean, I think if we look back historically in financial services, the, the reasons, right, the value creation or uh, creative acquisitions, um, there's kind of three segments you're, you're, or three outcomes you're looking for. Either expand your product. So if you have venture, you want private credit, right? Or if you have public equities, you want private equity, something like that. So your capabilities. Two is you want to grow your AUM. So if, if, attaching to another firm or buying another firm um, gets you into a certain kind of investor base that you don't already have. Maybe it's high net worth, maybe it's pensions, whatever it is. And now you have existing products that you can sell and you can grow quicker. Or the third thing is just um, back office scalability. It is costly and it's needed. And so if you can have synergies from um, a centralized back office, that makes sense. And so we're kind of at this point in the industry, like I said, there's over 600 funds and they are diverse. I mean, that's kind of the nature of this industry. People tend to get hyper focused, right? They're obsessed with carbon management or, you know, whatever it is. Um, And they have these very niche strategies, very unique stage. And to raise a new fund every three years, it's going to take us forever to get the kind of scale we need. And so it's like, well, there's a way to bring us together where then you can offer multiple strategies and capabilities and achieve the kind of scale. But it requires the leaders in our industry to put their egos aside. And, and just recognize that there's some urgency here. It, it really is our generation that has this opportunity. And it's a moment in time. You got to seize it. 
where people are paying attention and they're moving dollars to really fundamentally transform asset management. You know, so been my belief, and it's why I came to this industry, that in order for capitalism to work, the financial services industry cannot only serve the holders of capital. It has to have some objective to society too. That's the only way to keep this in check. And so now's our time. So we can't wait 10 years. We can't wait for that. And we will all be scooped up because the economics of this does require scale. So that's what I'm suggesting. And it could be between GPs. It could also be between advisors. I see a number of smaller impact advisors out there or OCIOs. Um, and I think we just need to think really critically about where 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 does this consolidation make sense and, and make us better together. And then maybe we'll go acquire the non-impact firms <laughs> and turn them into what we do, you know? Um, now, the, uh, the quickest way to win these arguments, of course, is with uh, better performance. And in many cases, there are some track records in that case. But there's also, um, as you said, a, 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 an interest in keeping impact at the center. In some cases, that means catalytic capital that might be take higher risks or lower returns or in some other way um, uh, play a role to, to bring in um, legacy or commercial capital. So um, do those goals sometimes cut against each other? You know, the desire to have high impact, but also the desire to deliver, uh, 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 you know, sort of impact alpha, as it were, in terms of outperformance on the financial side? I don't think so. I think it, it, I think there's a lot of nuance here. And this is, again, one of the advantages of a purpose-built firm where they're analyzing the opportunity and risk of impact in just as sophisticated of a way as they're analyzing the opportunity and, and risk we're taking financial bets, right? Um, we know that there, when you're making an investment decision and, and especially constructing an entire portfolio for an asset owner, um, there's different port portfolio utilities. If all we were ever doing was maximizing return, there would be no point in muni bonds in anyone's portfolio. But we know that's not true. We know about the efficient frontier. We understand these things. We also understand other elements that people consider, like liquidity, like taxes, like concentration, like geopolitical risks and preferences. <laughs> um, you know, quite frankly, even very emotional things like what my buddy is doing. People don't want to admit it, but all sorts of sophisticated investors do that and they shouldn't. And so impact is just one more dimension. And there is an impact on all these other dimensions when you take impact risk. And it can be positive, it can be negative, it can be neutral. And so this is also the next stage of the journey of this ecosystem and where we can lead, and we can succeed, and we can do better than those other firms, really, the mainstream firms are only coming to this in the last two years, is that if we can bring that sophistication, we will be able to give investors what they want and not just a sales pitch, to be honest with them about if this is the kind of impact you want, this is what it will take, and this could be the effect. And by the way, there are ways to mitigate it. You know, so many people can't invest in fund ones by mandate or they don't know how. They don't know how to diligence them. I've spent most of my career doing just that. So I know how and I'm very comfortable. But also, you know, it's the only free lunch, I would say, in investments that I've ever found, which is diversification. Um, and so there, there are ways to mitigate this, to take the kind of risks that we do need to take. Um, but you can mitigate that. And, and, and similarly, especially in private markets, these are all private placement structured you know, uh, investments. And so there are terms you can put in place. There are ways that you can structure things to take on the risk so that you don't have to just say, no, we can't invest. You say we will, because this is this, this is needed, but, but here's what we need to address it. And the expertise in addressing all those kind of risks becomes the competitive advantage as opposed to the liability that you're playing in some, in some sub-market concessionary impact pool. Um, you got it. 
Priya Parish, I love the, the the way you lean in and uh, and take it on uh, towards a towards a purpose built impact asset management industry. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. You can read more about all of these stories all day at impactalpha.com. Thanks to Priya, David, and our producer extraordinaire, Isaac Silk. Ready to try Impact Alpha? Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, totally free, directly at impactalpha.com. Want to go deeper? Grab a subscription and get full access to Impact Alpha, including the award-winning morning brief and our popular Agents of Impact calls. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and choose an annual subscription. I'm Brian Walsh. Be sure to check back for next week's briefing. Until next time, take good care.